Tabitha, or her Hebrew name was Tabitha. And so we want to talk about her. Some interesting statements are made by Luke concerning her life, her faith, the legacy that she left behind. And so we want to look at the, the life of this lady in just a moment or two. Again, thank you for being here tonight. We appreciate so much your willingness to come back. Thank you for your dedication to Christ, your willingness to be a part of the services here, to do what you can to magnify the name of Christ and to try to be a light in this community. And I appreciate those of you that are here every week. And what a great example you set. Those of you that have your children with you, uh, we're grateful for that as well. I promise you, you will never regret it. Tonight as we look at Acts chapter 9 and think about the life of this beautiful lady by the name of Tabitha. I said a minute ago that her Hebrew name was Tabitha. Her Greek name was Dorcas. And the word Dorcas means gazelle, an animal. A gazelle, you might know, is from the antelope species. And somebody might say, well, why would you name your daughter after an animal? Well, that was quite popular in ancient times. And to those in ancient times, a gazelle was a very beautiful, graceful animal. And so the name Dorcas or Tabitha, I think, fits well with the kind of lady that we're talking about in our study tonight. And there are some things that I want to call your attention to. I want to begin by first and foremost calling your attention to the, to the Lord of Tabitha. Now, back in verse 32, you remember Acts chapter 9, we have a record of Saul of Tarsus and his conversion to the cause of Christ and then his preaching and teaching on behalf of Christ, the one that he had persecuted, he became a great proclaimer of. And so in Acts chapter 9, we find Peter going throughout various parts of the country. And he came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydda. And the city of Lydda was some 9 to 10 miles outside of Joppa. Joppa was a coastal city on the Mediterranean, about 32 miles northwest, or west rather, of the city of Jerusalem. And so we have the apostle Peter healing a fellow by the name of Enos, who had been paralyzed, bedridden for some eight years. And the text tells us, look at verse 34. Peter said to him, Jesus the Christ heals you. Somewhat reminiscent, going back to Acts chapter 3 and 4, when you remember Peter and John healed a man that sat at the gate of the temple in Jerusalem begging for alms and Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And so the Bible says, Arise and make your bed. And then Luke says, He arose immediately. Interestingly, Luke was, by trade, a physician. And so, what a great miracle performed by the Apostle Peter. And then the text says in verse 35 that all those who dwelt at Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Now you remember back in Mark chapter 16 when Jesus gave the Great Commission. One of the purposes behind the miraculous was the confirmation of the Word. In other words, to authenticate the message. These people turned to the Lord not because of the miracle, 
but rather because of the power of the gospel of Christ. Now, the miracle confirmed or authenticated what was being taught or preached. And this is not anything new in the book of Acts. We have miracle after miracle that's recorded, and the apostles had that great ability. So now we come to verse 36. And the Bible says in verse 36 that at Joppa there was a certain disciple named Tabitha. Now, the word disciple means a learner. I mentioned a moment ago that we're talking first and foremost about the Lord of Tabitha or Dorcas. She had become a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, how did she become a disciple of Christ? The same way that everyone else did that we read about in the book of Acts. If you go all the way back to Acts chapter 2, Pentecost Day, we have Peter preaching the gospel, don't we? And you remember those people had been convicted of sin. The Bible tells us that God's Word has convicting power. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 16, that when the Holy Spirit came, that is, came upon the apostles, the Holy Spirit would convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. And He did that through the message or through the gospel of Christ. And so here's a lady that at some point in time heard the gospel, believed it, believed in what was said about Jesus, the Son of God, responded favorably, repented of her sins, was baptized into Christ, and she became a disciple of the Lord. When we become children of God, we are said to be disciples. A disciple, as I said a minute ago, is a learner. Think about some of the things that you have learned since you became a child of God. When I look at the life of this lady, in order for, I think, for me to really appreciate the beauty of this lady, and she was probably beautiful outwardly, but I think more so inwardly. But when I look at her life, she reflects the teaching of Christ, doesn't she? Now the Bible talks about her benevolence, her charitable deeds. Where did she learn that? Back in Acts chapter 2, we read about the early church sharing and caring, taking care of one another. The mind of Christ. You remember what Paul said, Philippians chapter 2, Have this mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus? who existing in the form of God, counted not being on an equality with God, a thing, to be, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, listen to what Paul said, taking the form of a servant. This lady became a servant. And that's evidenced by what Luke records about her in this context. So she had developed the mind of Christ. And then think for a minute about the mission of Christ. Jesus came to do what? To serve the human family, didn't He? And you remember, for example, over in Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, look at what the record says concerning the Christ. Luke said, He went about doing good. Jesus did a lot of good in His lifetime. That is, in some three, three and a half period of ministry, the Lord Jesus Christ ministered to many, many people. He dealt with physical needs, emotional needs, and most of all, spiritual needs. And then over in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, Luke says again about the Christ, that Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. 
You look at the life of Dorcas or Tabitha, and what do you see? Somebody who is a giver. Well, where'd she learn that? Well, she learned it by being a disciple of Jesus, I believe. Now, there's a second thought I want to share with you in our study. First, we talk about the Lord of Tabitha, but secondly, her labors. This was a lady very busy. She was not idle, but matter, matter of fact, I think she spent a lot of time working and helping other people. So look at what Luke says about her. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. Is that not, in a sense, a summation of what Christianity is all about? Engaging in good works. This morning we talked about letting our light shine. And I would grant worship is incredibly important in the grand scheme of things. But we're out in the world far more than we are in worship. So we have the opportunity to minister to other people, to help other people, to assist other people. And Luke again said that this woman was full of charitable deeds and good works. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that we have been created in Christ Jesus for that very reason. We are to be people of good works. Paul in Titus chapter 2 at verse 7 would say that we are to show ourselves as a pattern of good works. In chapter 2, verse 14, Paul said we're to be zealous of good works. Now, with that in mind, I want to go back and call attention to, I think, one of the premier passages in the Old Testament concerning what we would call a godly woman. I mentioned a moment ago that Tabitha, or Dorcas, she was not just a busy woman, but she was a benevolent woman. So go back with me and look at Proverbs chapter 31. In Proverbs 31, the inspired penman in the long ago raises the question, who can find a virtuous woman? His response was, her price is far above rubies. I think what the ancient writer was saying in that day and time was when you find a good woman, a virtuous woman, you can't put a price tag on that. There's just no way that you can put a premium on a lady like the one that is described in Proverbs chapter 31. So let's just note a couple of statements made about her. And here's a woman who is very busy. She is somebody who is laboring. She's, matter of fact, she would be, as we would say, bivocational. She has children at home. She's got a husband. But she also labors outside the home. And so... Note, if you would, beginning, well, note, if you would, verse 14. The text says, she's like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. She considers a field and buys it. From her profits, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good. Her lamp does not go out by night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff. Her hand holds the spindle. Now look at verse 20. She extends her hands to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. Does that not remind you of Dorcas or Tabitha? I mean, wasn't that what she was about? 
He goes on to say, She's not afraid of snow for her household. All her household is clothed with scarlet. She makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Drop down, look at verse 25. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom. On her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household. Then note this, and does not eat the bread of idleness. The world has been blessed immeasurably by women like this. And you look at Acts chapter 9 and you have just a few details about a lady by the name of Dorcas or Tabitha. And what a tremendous impact she had on her friends and those about her. So with that in mind, go back again and look at Acts chapter 9. We talk about her Lord, her labors, that she was a busy woman. She was a benevolent woman. But then we read about the loss of Tabitha. And by that I simply mean she became sick and later succumbed to death. So note what is said in the text. Verse 37. It happened in those days that she became sick and died. Now, let me just pause here and make a couple of observations. Number one, there are a lot of folks that have this idea, for whatever reason, that if you live the Christian life, then you're immune to some of the trials and the problems and heartaches and sorrows of this world. But you remember if you go back to the book of Job, in Job chapters 1 and 2, Job was a righteous man, wasn't he? Here was a man that feared God, turned away from evil. And yet, Job experienced tremendous pain in his life, didn't he? And here's what Job said, chapter 14, verse 1. Man born of woman is of few days and full of trouble. Job there reminding his readers, number one, of the brevity of life, and number two, of the burdens that come with life. Burdens are common to all people, the good, the bad, the righteous, and the unrighteous. Saints and sinners. No one is excluded. So, that being said, the Bible says that Dorcas, or Tabitha, she became sick and succumbed to her illness. So there was a separation that took place, death. I think a reminder to all of us that at some point in time, life will come to a crashing halt, won't it? We're not going to be here forever. You remember the psalmist talked about we might live to be 70, 80 years of age. He said it's soon cut off, and what happens? We fly away. So what we have to do is make wise usage of the time that we have in our tour here on planet Earth. As Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 5, redeem the time. Buy it up. Make wise usage of the time that God has granted you. But then note, if you would, the sadness and the sorrow among those who were left behind. The Bible says that after they had washed her and laid her in an upper room, they had already prepared her body, apparently, for burial or interment. Verse 38, the Bible says, And since Lydda was near Joppa, about nine to ten miles away, the disciples had heard that Peter was there. 
they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Now, do you think they had something in mind by sending for Peter? Was there a purpose? I tend to believe that they sent, per, they sent for Peter because they believed that Peter had the ability to help them in this situation. And so, note what the record says. Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room, and all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. Some would say that the tunics and garments that she showed Peter were tunics and garments that they were at that time wearing. They were on display for Peter to see. Verse 40 says that Peter put them all out. You remember when Jesus healed, or rather raised the daughter of Jairus from the dead? The Lord Jesus did the exact same thing. That girl's parents, Peter, James, and John, they were present. Everyone else was put out of the room. And so the Bible says in verse 40 that Peter put them all out, knelt down, and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. Now look at what Luke says, and she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. When he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. Now we're talking about a miracle here, a sign, aren't we? And we said that Signs or miracles in the first century, they were intended to confirm the Word. Now, this was a great miracle. I mean, you think about all the miracles that we read about in Scripture. But to raise someone from the dead, would that have not had a tremendous impact upon the people that were present on that occasion? Look at what the text says. In verse 42, the Bible says it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. Because of this one woman, this disciple, that had died, raised from the dead, a lot of folks became followers of Jesus. So when you read the book of Acts and you begin going through section by section, and you look at all the missionary journeys Individuals that became New Testament Christians, congregations that were formed and established. What is it that really stands out about the book of Acts? In my mind, it's about the birth of the church, the infancy of the church, and the incredible growth of the early church. The miracles that were performed by the apostles and by those upon whom the apostles laid hands, those miracles had a very specific purpose. And so now you have two cases where miracles were performed, verifiable miracles. They're performed, and what happens? It leads people to the Lord, doesn't it? So, the book of Acts, in many ways, is an open invitation 
to the people that lived in the first century to become followers of Jesus, to become members of the body of Christ. And so we go back and we look at the efforts of those ancient disciples. And they were on a quest, and their quest, their work, was heaven sent. They had a mission, and they accomplished their mission, didn't they? Now, let's just think very quickly about the legacy of this lady. Again, look at what it said in verse 42. He became known throughout all Joppa. Many believed on the Lord, so it was that he, that is Peter, stayed many days in Joppa with Simon a tanner. Now, interestingly, this is going to be a segue to chapters 10 and 11 and the conversion of Cornelius, his household, and the inclusion of the Gentiles in the body of Christ as Isaiah foretold of back in Isaiah chapters, chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. But I want to just ask you, how will you be remembered? You know, at some point in time, your life will end. My prayer is that that will be many years from now. But your life's going to end. And people will remember you. They're going to reflect upon your life. I don't think it's bad to have a funeral. Matter of fact, I think funerals are for the living, those who have been left behind. But there are a lot of times that Things are said about people, and I don't think it's wrong to remind people of some of the things that individuals have done and some of the, the events in their life, to kind of highlight and memorialize their life. But listen, when it's all said and done, you've already written the book. You've already left a legacy. If I were to die this evening or tomorrow, this week, I hope I don't, but if that were to be the case. I don't think that it would be necessary for someone to stand in front of an assembly of people and talk about my life, about what I've done, what I haven't done. There's no need for that because I've lived my life and people either know me or they don't know me. They know what my life's about. They know what my work is about, or they don't. And so the point is, and again, I'm not saying it's wrong to have a funeral. I'm not saying that it's wrong to memorialize and reflect upon the lives of those who are deceased. I think it's a good thing in many ways. But what I am saying is, right now, you are writing your own legacy. Go back with me again to Proverbs 31. I want to just leave with you a statement found in Proverbs 31. Wherever you are in your life, at whatever age you are in life, you have already created a bank of memories for your loved ones and friends. There are people that you're close to, that you interact with, that you share things with, they know you. Sometimes they know you inside out. Your family knows you. So you have created a legacy up to this point in time. So here's what was said in Proverbs 31. Note, if you would, beginning in verse 28. Her children rise up and call her blessed. 
If you have a good mother and your mother is still living, even if she's gone, I would encourage you to get down on your knees and thank God for her. My grandmother's been gone a long time. And I still thank God for her influence, for what she meant to my life. And so if you have a good mother, a mother that has cared for you, has tried to teach you and train you and point you in the right direction, and has done everything within her power to make your life better, you ought to say, number one, thank you. And number two, I would encourage you to thank God for your mother. You only have one mother. And life is completely different once you lose your mama. Things change. So here's, again, what he said. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Guys, if you have a good wife, if you have a wife that loves you and takes care of you and does her best to make your life better, you ought to get down on your knees and thank God for her. I'm serious. You want to talk about being blessed in this life? If you have a good Christian wife, you ought to thank God. You are blessed more than you will ever know. You know, wives have the ability to take care of the better half. And really, when we talk about the better half, they are the better half, aren't they? In many respects. Nancy and I were talking the other day. And she said, you know, if anything happens to you or happens to me, you need to marry again so somebody can take care of you. Well, I don't know if that's the case or not. But I understand what she's saying. Because a wife has the ability to make a home. A wife has the ability to make life better. A quality life. And then note, many daughters have done well but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. And you know, in this day and time, we put a lot of emphasis on the outward person, don't we? Cosmetics business, billions of dollars spent every year. Nothing wrong with trying to make ourselves look better. I'm grateful that there are products that can make us look better, smell better, etc. But he said, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. That's the kind of life that I believed, that I believe Tabitha lived. A life worthy of praise. And the Bible says, give her the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. Here's what John said in Revelation chapter 14, verse 13. Again, we're talking about our legacy and the works that we leave behind. John said, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. Yes, says the Spirit, 
that they may rest from their labors. Now listen to this. And their works do follow them. What you do in this life will follow you. And people will remember what you did or what you didn't do. I want to say that in my mind, in looking at this lady Tabitha, this Christian disciple, she was a person that no doubt was deeply admired by people around her. They were weeping at her death. Why? Because they lost a good sister in Christ, a friend. And tonight, our goal is to live in such a way so that we make a viable difference in the world in which we live. You can do that in your home. You can do it on your job. You can do it at school. You can do it wherever you are. You can be an influence for good and leave behind a legacy that will stand the test of time. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I would encourage you to consider what it means to become a child of God. We're not here to reinvent the wheel. We're not here to tell you to do something that the Bible doesn't say. But if you want to become a child of God, it's very easy. You put your faith and trust in Jesus, the Son of God. You repent of all your sins like they did, as recorded by Luke in the book of Acts. You confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. You are immersed in water so that all your sins can be washed away, Acts twenty two sixteen. 16. Then you live a faithful, productive life in Christ. Remember what Jesus said, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. That's the goal of a child of God. If you're here tonight and you're not what you ought to be and maybe you want the prayers of the church, we would be honored to pray with you and for you. We're here tonight to encourage, to inspire. And if you're here tonight and you're not what you ought to be, listen. You come before this assembly, I promise you this, we will not in any way think any less of you as a person, as a human being. But I encourage you, if you need the prayers of the church, please come. God will abundantly pardon as we stand and sing.